And so leadership to me is very much a process of personal development that involves your own mindset and behaviors, and then applying those skills that you learn over time. So absolutely, leadership is a learnable and repeatable skill because the goal ultimately is to become consciously competent so that you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. Your inner voice has been drowned out by the noise around you, but you've always had a deep desire to make a difference. And now you're ready to step into your greatness and develop the identity you need to build towards your ultimate goal. Welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Making the world a better place by unleashing human potential will help you create your own reality by increasing your self-awareness, cultivating an unstoppable mindset, and finally finding the passion, purpose, and true self so that you can live the life you are always destined to live. Now, welcome your host, a lifelong learner and growth mindset savant, a former architect turned lifestyle entrepreneur, Tibor Notch. What is up, Mindset Nation? Welcome back to the Mindset Horizon podcast. My guest today is Ella Hankins, the author of the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. He's also a sought-after speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach. Over his 20-year career, Ella has led over 2,000 groups in 25 countries. His clients include Walmart, Pfizer, Citigroup, General Electric, State Farm Insurance, IBM, General Motors, and Microsoft. He has designed and facilitated seminars on numerous leadership topics, including team building, conflict management, communication, peak performance, innovation, engagement, and change. Ella serves on the faculty of Duke Corporate Education and has published over 400 articles on leadership. At the beginning of today's episode, we talk about Ella's personal story and entrepreneurial journey. He also elaborates on my first question, are leaders born or made? In the middle of the episode, we dive deeper into leadership and we talk about the most important principles and the three pillars of leadership, connection, communication, and collaboration. Ella also explains what a motivation choice architect is and how leaders can become one. Closer to the end of the episode, we dive deeper into the importance of creating a vision as a leader and communicating it in order to influence and motivate others around you. On top of all that, in the end, Ella talks about the brain science behind leading people and recommends super amazing books to the listeners. If you want to find out more about today's guest and check out the free resources, book recommendations, and detailed show notes, simply head over to our website, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. That's again, mindsethorizon.com forward slash podcast. You can also use the search bar on our website where you can simply type in Ella Hunkins to find the episode's show notes page. And so Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's welcome today's guest. Hi, Elle, and welcome to the Mindset Horizon podcast. Thanks so much, Tibor. It is a pleasure to be with you here today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited and uh, honored to have you on the show. And so you're the author of the book, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Building Strong Leaders. You're a sought-after speaker, consultant, trainer, and coach. And today we are going to talk about leadership and everything that is connected to this topic. But first of all, I want to start with your story and journey, like how you got where you are today and what is it that you do? Sure, Tibor. Well, certainly when I was a small child, I did not think I would grow up and be a leadership expert, consultant, coach, and author. 
it's one of those things that that's not the way life works sometimes. But if I go backwards and I, if I had to look at what the common thread that has pulled at me my entire life, it has to do with people, specifically why do people do what they do? And I think in a lot of ways, I was very influenced by my fairly unusual childhood. So I was raised by a single mom and her mom, my grandmother. Now, that part's not very unusual. The unusual part is that both my mother and my grandmother are Holocaust survivors. So my mom is born in 1935 and she was in oh. Belgium. And in 1942, when the Nazis invaded Belgium, my mother was actually put in hiding and spent three years separated from her parents in the Belgian underground. And at the time, my grandmother was arrested, imprisoned, and finally liberated. And they were reunited after the war. And most of the rest of the family was killed, as mm. were so many people wow. then. So as you can imagine, Tibor, that experience profoundly shaped their experience of what the world was like and their belief systems. So I was raised, yeah. you know, as you can imagine, so I was raised in a house where literally I was told things like, don't ever share any more information than anyone ever asks for you, because that's the world they came from. And so what I noticed, and I grew up in New York City in the 1970s and 80s, and so I would have this experience at home, which was very intense and shut down. And then I'd go to school with my friends and go to their families. And I noticed these things were not the same. And so I think early on, I was trying to make sense of my own family experience, which led me to study psychology. I actually went then on to graduate school and trained to be a professional actor. So I have a theater degree, I have a graduate degree in that, because <laughs> wow. I think I was really interested in trying to understand life from different people's perspectives, right? What do actors do? But they take on the character of other people and learn about life experience through playing roles. And I think for my own mm -hmm. self-development, that was really important. Then from there, I started doing educational training doing leadership training and conflict resolution training in junior high schools and high schools in New York City for a couple of years. And then I transitioned to working with adults in organizations doing leadership training, which is what I've been doing for about the last 23 years. And over that time, I've had a chance to work with literally thousands and thousands of group and, and hundreds of thousands of leaders. And what I've noticed is that there are common patterns of behavior that the most successful leaders have things in common in terms of how they think, in terms of their mindset and what they do, as well as the mediocre leaders have a common mindset and how they think and also what they do. And so I noticed these patterns and I noticed stories as people would share their personal stories. I started writing notes and those notes turned into blog posts and those blog posts turned into chapters and those chapters turned into this book, which is really in some ways a distillation of a lot of the knowledge and experience that I've gained over the decades that I wanted to share with people. Because for me, leadership is really not about a title. It's not about a position. It's really about a mindset and a way of being in the world. So anytime that any of us are trying to influence somebody else to want to do something, that takes leadership. And so such an important skill that is applicable in every domain of our lives. Wow, that's so incredible, so inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, yeah, so great to listen to that. Uh, it's really interesting. So you mentioned, for example, why do people do what they do? So I think you might have had this or you must have had this, um, you know, intrinsic motivation or curiosity uh, for this topic. Um, I, you know, a lot of times I talk about curiosity because I was, I used to work as an architect. So, and I transitioned 
to this field of personal development and uh, doing this podcast, for example. And but uh, there was one thing you mentioned. I wanted to ask you about this because uh, you mentioned that it's not about the title. And I was just wondering, what do you think? So are leaders born or are they made? Great question. Well, last time I checked, all leaders are born, right? None have been hatched, so, yeah, right? So <laughs> yes, they are born. That, that is all people are born, but in, are, are leaders actually made? No, I think that if we look at how leadership develops, it's funny, I use this analogy. So Tibor, if I gave you a concert grand piano and I brought it to your house and you now had a giant piano in your house and you sat down, does that make you a pianist? <laughs> no. no, you could bang on the keys a little bit and get some noise, but we wouldn't call you a pianist. Well, it's amazing because I think so many leaders get promoted into these leadership roles, but they haven't. Mm. It's like sitting down at the piano if you have no skill. It's a completely different skill set than what you were mm. used to. And so leadership to me is very much a process of personal development that involves your own mindset and behaviors and then applying those skills that you learn over time. So absolutely, leadership is a learnable and repeatable skill because the goal ultimately is to become consciously competent so that you know what you're mm. doing and why you're doing it as opposed to just blathering your way through stuff and maybe doing it okay sometimes and not okay sometimes is that in so many ways, it's really important for us to be really aware of what we're mm. doing and how we're doing it. I had a mentor who once talked about the importance of awareness. And so I'll quote him. He says, you can't change what you don't notice. So that's the power of self-awareness is how important it is to be aware in that way. Wow, wow, wow. It's so important. Like awareness is, for me, it's a huge key when it comes to um, anything that you mentioned and also mindset. Like if you're not aware of those skills or habits or behaviors, you cannot change or you cannot, for example, also teach. Like you can grade at something, but if you are not conscious about those skills, uh, maybe personal development or other skills, then you cannot really teach. So when it comes to leadership, um, what are some of the most important principles or pillars that you talk about also in your trainings and in the book, for example? Yeah, sure. Well, for me, I've looked at really distilling down the principles of leadership into three main points of focus, which I call the three secrets of building strong leaders. And they are connection, communication, and collaboration. Mm -hmm. So for me, connection is the foundation of everything because at its core, leadership is ultimately a relationship between two people. And the quality of that relationship is based on the quality of the connection that goes on there. So connection is at the heart of everything because no matter what business or industry you're in, you're in the people business. You're working with other people. Yeah. And so under, understanding that is so important. And you know, there's a wonderful quote from Maya Angelou, it's pretty famous, who says, people won't remember what you said, they won't remember what you did, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And so for us wow. as leaders, having this self-awareness of what's the emotional impact that we're creating on other people, because that is the foundation of the relationship. So that's connection. Mm -hmm. The next big pillar is communication. The fact is so many people are talking 
or emailing, trying, there's so much noise in the system right now. And the goal of communication isn't communication. The goal of communication is to create shared understanding where I see reality the way you see it and I feel it the way you feel it, Tibor. And the reason that shared understanding is so important is because understanding becomes the platform for all future action. And so if we have understanding, we can make the best decisions to create the best results. And if we have poor or missed understanding, we're going to make lousy decisions and get poor results. So the goal as leaders is we have to be continually striving to create complete and accurate understanding. And then the third big principle is collaboration. The fact is, as leaders, we don't want to resort to what I call an old school leadership style, which is do this because I'm your boss. So just shut up, right? Because I said so. That's why, (laughs) right? That doesn't really motivate anybody. I'm a parent, right? And I'm a parent of a 16 year old and a 13 year old. And I'll tell you that really doesn't work with teenagers and it certainly doesn't work with adults, right? Because Mm. people resist that type of leadership. So to create a highly collaborative environment, and you talked about being trained as an architect. So mm. for me, I like to think of leaders as a, our motivational choice architects. Mm, that yeah. is, we, we want to we design environments where people can thrive. And there are certain human needs that need to be met for people to thrive. And when those needs are met, you suddenly have this wonderful collaborative environment. So the three principles, again, connection, communication, and collaboration. Yeah, absolutely. So exciting. Uh, this is These are the chapters or the different parts in your book. So if anyone is interested, Cracking the Leadership Code, Three Secrets to Build Strong Leaders. And these are the parts that you basically deconstruct in the book. And yes. you mentioned, um, yeah, motivational choice architects. So when I was doing my research, I was like, this is something that we have to talk about. So first of all, because I was an architect and second of all, and maybe more importantly, um, motivation is a, is a huge topic. I, I really love this. So maybe it's connected to my interests in behavioral science, also connected to entrepreneurship. How can we motivate ourselves or maybe motivate others, right? So um, I want to also dive deeper into influencing others, but first of all, inspiring others as a leader and motivating others. Because for example, as I see myself with the podcast as a host, as the leader of a community, so I'm you know, building uh, a community around the podcast, like I want to really motivate and inspire others to take action, you know, to not, not to settle for less, uh, to go for their dreams and, and things like that. So what is a motivational choice architect? That's that's my question. And how is a leader supposed to be one? Sure. Great question. So the idea of choice architecture actually comes from the field of behavioral economics. And for those that are interested in that field, uh, there's a classic book. It's written by uh, Nobel Prize winner Daniel Kahneman, who wrote a book called Thinking Fast and Slow. And a lot of his work gets into the fact that there are things that we can do to unconsciously influence people to make better decisions. And so a couple of quick examples around that. So for example, Tibor, if you wanted to influence somebody to eat smaller portions of food, one way to do that is to serve the food on smaller plates. 
Have you heard that? Mm-hmm. That's a thought, right? You think about it. When you have the same amount of food on a smaller plate, it looks like it takes up more room. It's the same amount of food, but it triggers a different cue in your own sensory system. So there you're thinking, oh, it's a full plate. I'm not as, you know, I'm full. It's amazing, but it works. Another example, Mm -hmm. and different countries have done this around the world, is when you go and register for your driver's license, they will ask you if you want to be an organ donor, right? In case of an accident, would you donate your organs after you died? Well, some places, the default setting is you're automatically, you are an automatic organ donor if you sign up and you have to actually opt out of the system. In other Mm. countries, when you sign up, you have to opt in to the system. So obviously you can imagine the places where you're already enrolled, the enrollment is much higher because it takes that extra step or it's extra friction in the system. And I think so much of what we wanna do as motivational choice architects as leaders is how can we remove the friction, the things that get in the way of people's ability to engage. I really do believe that at our core, all of us would like to operate at our best. We would like to contribute as well as we can, but there are things that get in the way. Um, There was a very famous management theorist named Edwards Deming, and Mm -hmm. he has this wonderful quote. He says, you put a good person in a bad system and the bad system will win every time. And so- If we think about it as motivational choice architects, leaders to do that, we want to create these systems where people can operate at their best. And in my research, I found there are four primary needs that humans have to be addressed to perform at our best. The first one is we all have a need for safety. Let's face it, right now, when we're dealing with coronavirus pandemic, there's the physical safety. First, we have to feel physical safety. Number one. Uh, number two, then there's financial safety, right? We need a certain amount of financial safety. And third, we need psychological safety. Do I feel safe to speak up and to show up fully as myself? Or do I feel like that won't be welcome? So there's safety. We then have this need for energy. The fact is we all operate better when we're in an environment where we feel energized. I'm sure you've had the experience, many people have, where you go, let's say, to a meeting or a conference call, and it's two hours long, and you haven't taken a break. And people are going, I'm completely going bored out of my mind. What's happening here? Yeah. So we realize that as a leader, a simple thing you can do is keep an eye on the clock and you know, 75 minutes in, take a break, because people will be better off for the 15 or 10 minutes you take off than trying to plow through. We have to realize that people are not machines. They can't operate, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They need renewal. And so we want to build renewal into the system. So that's the need for energy. And there's lots of other things you can do to build energy, by the way, than just take a break. What is up, Mindset Nation? I hope you guys are enjoying today's episode. And we're going to get back to this conversation very soon after thanking to our sponsors. As a mission and impact-driven entrepreneur, thought leader, visionary, and changemaker, Have you ever thought of increasing your online visibility, building credibility, and scaling your impact and business by starting your own podcast? If you've answered this question with hell yeah, now this is your chance. According to Edison Research in the US, podcasting is one of the fastest growing medium. So if you are ready to start your own podcast, build credibility, and scale your impact and business, I have good news for you. 
I launch a 12-week group coaching program every single month with four people where I teach how to start your own epic podcast from scratch, build credibility, and scale your online presence and business. In order for you to see that podcasting is something that you want to start, I provide a 30-minute free discovery call where we can see if podcasting is something that can help you scale your brand and business. You can book a free discovery call with me at MindsetHorizon.com forward slash free call. That's again, MindsetHorizon.com forward slash free call. Or simply shoot me an email at tibor at MindsetHorizon.com. That's T-I-B-O-R, tibor at MindsetHorizon.com. So Mindset Nation, without any further ado, let's get back to today's Mindset Transforming Conversation people have this need for purpose, the sense that what we're doing matters, that we are contributing to something greater than ourselves. Because let's face it, when something really matters to you, Tibor, I'm sure you bring much more energy. Like you were talking about the desire to build your podcast community. I imagine mm. you probably put in some late nights and some early mornings to do a lot <laughs> of the work to make that happen. You right? bet. <laughs> you bet I did. Of course, of course. <laughs> Right, because it matters to you, because you're really trying to build a movement, and that's what purpose is all about. And then the fourth yeah. big need we all have is a need for ownership. So the fact is, adults really prefer to be self-directed. So where possible, we don't want to be told exactly what to do, like in a micromanagement point of view. We want to give be given some freedom and latitude to be able to create our own solutions, because that engages us more in the process. So again, to recap those four needs, there's safety, mm -hmm. there's purpose, there's ownership, and there's energy. And so what motivational choice architects do is they insert things into the culture or the environment so that those needs can be met. And obviously the art of this is that not everyone has all those needs in the same proportions in every situation. Wow, that's wonderful and so interesting. So motiv motivational choice architects, and you mentioned something like of course amongst many other things uh removing the obstacles like people want to um you know uh, they are motivated they want to be motivated but they have obstacles so what are some of the obstacles that they face or they have for example uh, based on your experience well some of the obstacles to motivation really come back to at, at, at a core level it has to do with the mindset of the leader see unfortunately mm -hmm. so many leaders have you know, like I said before, you know, they sit in front of the piano, they think they're a pianist, right? So many leaders end up having lived out what I'll call the inherited leadership legacy of previous generations. And if you think about it, most of us learn, we learn from experience. And so if I'm now in a leadership role, I start modeling my behavior based on what I've seen in the past, you know, for good or bad, but mostly for bad, because most leadership philosophy and mindset and style was built on work that was done back at the, the beginnings of the 20th century in the industrial age, where there was really this idea where 95% of the workforce around the world was working in a factory on an assembly line doing manual labor, where it really didn't involve a lot of thinking. It was repetitive. They would do the same thing for eight hours a day, five days a week. 50 weeks a year, every year, day, and it was not any different. And so the mindset at the time was the leader's job was to tell people what to do and the employee's job was to shut up and do it. And it's amazing how many of us get into leadership roles and think, oh, I'm in charge. 
My job is to tell you what to do. And what's amazing is, again, humans, we resist being imposed on. And so one of the biggest things that gets in the way of motivation is when we have a leader and we, you know, we, we have this wonderful intuitive sense. We can smell it when people act that way, right? You know that so intuitively. Yeah, yeah. And so as soon as you have someone who starts to, it's power, it's a power play. So as soon as leaders go into this power struggle, people just give up and they're like, fine. And then what they do is they don't necessarily quit their job. Now they may quit, but if they don't quit, what they do is they stay, but they're not fully engaged. You know, there's this, they call it, presenteeism. I don't know if you've heard that term, right? Do you know what absenteeism, right? When people are, don't show up to work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The other, the close cousin is presenteeism when people do show up to work, but they just mm -hmm. do the minimum amount necessary to keep their jobs. And wow. so, you know, so if we think about, you know, again, if you're an entrepreneur, this applies for you, even if you don't have employees, you know, what are you doing with your customers, with colleagues, with vendors, with people that you're working with? What do you do? So they are excited to be part of your entrepreneurial team. It's the same thing. So what are they doing to give you the most they can? Well, it starts with that connection. First of all, people have to feel that you care yeah. about them and that you're also not just care, but also you're really competent, that you're really good at what you do. And they think, wow, I want to invest my energy here because I see what Tibor is growing with this podcast community and I want to be a part of this. And so they engage, right? As opposed to, uh, okay, fine. This is a job. When it's done, I'll find somebody else to work with. So that, <laughs> that is a, one of the big, yeah. I'd say that is one of the biggest obstacles to inspiration. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. So for example, you mentioned uh, purpose and um, being inspired and inspire others. So what I wanted to add to that was, um, you know, I really have this, this mission with the podcast and I feel I need to communicate this on social media in the podcast so that people can hear this message, right? So as often or the more often, the better. And um, as a leader, you know, I think it's 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 one of one of your roles as as far as I'm concerned, as and and as I see this, that you have to communicate this message, this this purpose, or whatever it is, maybe it's a vision, and you know, uh inspire others. Cause I can tell you when I was employed. And uh, I was working in Austria. I was working in Germany. So I had a period of uh, my life where I was changing jobs uh, recently. And um, when I was disengaged, it was because there was just no purpose for me in the company, no communication about the purpose. And um, after my university studies, where I started to work at an international company here in Hungary, Actually, there was a leader. He was really great at communicating the vision, the mission, everything that we wanted to achieve as a team within the company. And that was just really inspiring to me. And, you know, that was my first experience at work. And afterwards, I just moved out to Germany and then to Austria. And I had really different experiences. Like, you know, I have been part of themes where there was just no communication about the mission and i just felt the lack of of that so my deepest desire with with becoming an entrepreneur was to to get in touch with my my purpose and vision and create something on my own so that was my my main idea and this is what i you know do today and um i think it's really important to 
communicate this, either it is your uh, team members or customers, as you've mentioned, or friends or community members or group of people, you know, I think it's, it's, it's huge. It's huge. <laughs> Absolutely, Tibor. As you talk about this, I mean, you have just illustrated just the power of leadership. The fact is that you could go from one organization and be so engaged and inspired and then go somewhere else and feel such a lack of engagement and inspiration. Yeah. And it boils yeah. down to not necessarily the actual day-to-day -day work or tasks you are doing. It has to do with the leader and the culture that they created, right? Because I imagine the jobs technically probably had some similarity if you were doing some similar work, mm -hmm. but the culture, yeah. and that's all back to the leader. And you talked about the importance of creating mission and vision and purpose. And to me, what I love is this idea of how can we co-create this together? So you know, mm -hmm. reaching out. So if you're reaching out to your podcast community, or if we're entrepreneurs reaching out to our customers and our colleagues, our team mm -hmm. is instead of me having this full formed, full born vision in my head and saying, this is it. Are you on board? It's actually <laughs> listening to them like, Hey, how can I serve you? What's what, what's, and listen to them first. And what is it you want? Well, you want to be inspired. You want to learn and grow about mindset. Great. Me too. Here's what I'm thinking. How does this sound? And turn it into a dialogue. Because wow. when people are part of a community, they want to have their voice heard. And it doesn't mean that they expect that every decision that they think gets done, but without that voice heard, they're really just bystanders. And you're really not looking for bystanders. You want active participants. Wow. And so the more that we can engage people through co-creation, and this is why communication to me is the second core principle of leadership, is we want to what I'll call pull information from people much more than push, push it at them. Uh, you know, Stephen Covey wrote the classic book, the seven habits of highly effective people. And, yeah. and one of those habits is seek first to understand, then to be understood. And I think if leaders start by listening instead of talking, it will go a long way by co-creating a vision based on understanding, seeking to understand first, and then tying what people are already saying to what I'm going to share with them because then they go, oh, he gets me or she gets me. We're on the same page. And that's such an important part of building strong long-term relationships. Wow. That's so important and so true. Uh, thanks for sharing that. Like they, people want to feel they are, they are part of something bigger, right? So they might have a role in an organization, but they want to be part of this vision and they want to co-create. That's, that's a huge benefit. Thanks. Thanks for pointing that out. Yeah. And uh, yeah, there's a really interesting uh, thing in your book. And also you talk about this in your TEDx talk. I wanted to dive deeper there a little bit, like discovering the brain science behind leading people. If we could talk a little bit about that, because yeah, you know, mindset and <laughs> we haven't tapped into that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, the brain science behind leading people is is really important and fascinating. And so, you know, there's a pretty standard adopted model about the brain called the three parts of the brain. And just in a nutshell, if we think about our human brain has three general parts. So we've got the oldest part is called the reptilian brain or the autonomic brain, some people call it. And this is the part that's by the brain stem. This is the part that any living being has. And it basically controls all of our automatic systems, like our heart, our lungs. Like right now, Tibor, you and I aren't thinking about our 
heartbeat heart beating to move blood through. Thank goodness it works on its own, right? Because it's just working. So, so that's the oldest part. And then we have the center part is the limbic system. And this is the seat of emotions. Now, all mammals have a limbic brain as well. And this is actually a place that we have this spot called the amygdala, which registers when we're under threat. And we have what you might've heard the fight or flight or freeze response. So that's the emotional brain. And it actually controls the majority of our decisions are tr controlled through the limbic system. And then the third part of the brain or the newest part evolutionarily speaking, is what they call the neocortex, or some people call it the prefrontal cortex. And this is what humans have in a way that no other species does. And this is the part that allows us to do all kinds of complex problem-solving issues, like we can get on the internet or ride a bicycle or anything that any other species can't do. That's the neocortex. So obviously, in the kind of knowledge work that we live and do today, we need access to our neocortex. And so we want to be able to be creative and be innovative and generate new solutions to problems. We need that neocortex. The thing is, if you think about your entire three parts of the brain, it's like the internet connection in your house. That is, you know, sometimes the bandwidth, there's like, if a lot of other people are on at the same time, your, your connection gets spotty because <laughs> you're all competing for the same bandwidth. Well, the three parts of your brain are always in constant competition for the bandwidth of cognitive, basically brain cells that can fire at any one given time. But here's the thing about that competition. The competition is completely rigged in that any time there's some kind of big threat or fear, those older parts, because they're older and those neural pathways are better worn, they win, which means that whenever you're feeling threat, or fear, or change, which by the way, many of us are feeling right now in the middle of this pandemic, anytime you're in that situation, the energy goes from the neocortex and actually goes to that fight or flight old parts of the brain, which is why many of us right now are feeling exhausted so much of the day because our bodies are in that stress response. Yeah, yeah. So I, I give you all this background because one of the most important things that we can do as leaders is to calm the nervous systems of the people around us. You know, whenever I ask people, I want you to describe, think of the best leader you've ever worked with. What are some qualities or characteristics of them that made them so great? Calm always, almost always makes the list, right? I've never yet had someone say, I had this wonderful leader, and you know what I loved about them? Is how stressed out they would get at all the deadlines. No one ever says that, right? And so the idea is, the reason this is so important to understand the brain science is because by making people calmer, it actually allows their central nervous system to relax, which frees up the neural resources in their brains mm -hmm. to be able to actually do the higher level thinking that most of our work requires. And so you can think of yourself, you know, if you're the CEO, think of yourself as the chief energy officer, because the fact is, and we've all had this experience, is emotions are contagious. And in fact, the emotions and the energy of leaders are the most contagious wow, because yes. people look to us to set the tone. This is true at the local level. It's also true at the national and global level. Mm -hmm. I won't get into naming names here, but look at some of the different political leaders around the world right now and how they're responding to the coronavirus pandemic. And you see some great examples of some great things of what to do and some horrible things of what not to do. And a lot of that has to do with your ability to help emotionally regulate your followers through the model that you set. And so calm is an operating word in that. So that's a lot of the brain science behind leading people.
Wow, that's so incredible. And yeah, I, I'm just fascinated by this topic. And uh, it's connected to high performance, as you mentioned in your TEDx talk. So when you really want to, you know, um, not just um, like, you know, bring the best out of people, this is really important to understand this this brain science part. Like, you know, when someone is frightened and they will get into this uh, fight or flight response or survival yeah. mode. And yeah, that's just super exciting. Well, if you think about it, I mean, and you, everyone can try this as you're listening. If I asked you to think about the times that you have been performing at your best, how do you feel? My sense is, if you think about the answer to that question, you'll probably say things like, I've been energized, I've been focused, I've been enthusiastic. No one ever says, when I'm performing at my best, I'm, <laughs> I'm depressed, I'm yeah. sad, or I'm angry, right? So, so it's pretty intuitively obvious that for us to perform mm -hmm. at our best, we have to feel at our best. But what's mm -hmm. less obvious is that any time that we're not feeling that way, we actually physiologically, we cannot perform at our best, which is why we want to put ourselves in these peak states, right? These optimal states. I know that, mm -hmm. you know, Tony Robbins and NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, gets really into this whole sense of inhabiting these peak performance states because this is yes. part of the, the mindset. And we learn this in acting too. It's the sense of, you know, if you put yourself as if you're in the situation, you'll start to perform. This comes into confidence too. And you look at the work that Amy Cuddy does, has done at Harvard with power poses, right? And so we're just kind of looking at all these different ways of how can I act as if I'm confident and then I will behave in that way. And there are certainly biological and physiological things that we can do to support that. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So as we are recording this, I am standing and <laughs> you know as am i exactly <laughs> yeah that's that's the that's the posture that's the posture i want to you know have as a as a confident speaker let's say so um well it's amazing i think we could go on for hours <laughs> but <We> i could <laughs> but i want to be respectful of your time and so as we are getting to the end of this episode I wanted to mention that um, a free chapter of your book is available. So where can people download this? Exactly. A free chapter of the book is available, and you can learn all about the book at the same place. It is www.crackingtheleadershipcode.com. You can learn all about that right there, and that will also link you to my website. And you can learn all about the other work that I do, both individually and with teams and organizations to help people become strong leaders. Wow, amazing. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. Uh, the links are going to be in the show notes. And I always ask uh, my guests about book recommendations. Besides your book, if you have anything um, in mind that you would recommend to the listeners, maybe leadership or mindset books, business books, anything. Sure, be happy to. So two of my heroes and mentors of mine, Jim Cousins and Barry Posner, who are both professors of leadership and have written a book called The Leadership Challenge, which is now in its sixth edition. It's sold, I think, two million copies, at least at this point. Um, for me, it's a wonderful entry point into leadership. It inspired me because I used to think leaders had to be you know, people like Mahatma Gandhi or Winston Churchill. Mm. And what they did is they actually, mm -hmm. they demystified leadership for me and realized, helped me realize that all of us are leaders every day and that there's a series of skills and behaviors. So it's one of my top favorites in terms of the leadership library. And I'm also happy to say they both endorsed my book. So it's really nice. Yeah. Wow. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. 
Uh, is there anything I I uh, that you want to mention? I might have not, uh, you know, asked you anything to the listeners. Well, you know, I would just say, you know, I know we talked a little bit before we recorded is just the importance. You know, we talked about obviously mindset. You know, we have the mindset mm. horizon here, and also the importance of self development. You know, people have asked me, you know, what do you think has helped you the most? And I think all leadership development starts with personal development. So whatever you can do to grow yourself, uh, Jim Rohn, who's a famous author, once said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. And I love that idea because the fact is the investment in yourself is something that is going to pay dividends for the rest of your life. I really started getting involved in personal development at the age of 25. I'm now wow. about to turn 52 and I've been at it for a long time. And it's amazing. All the books that I've read, all the workshops I've gone to, they've all influenced me in some way. So I would say to all of you out there, work harder on yourself than on anything else because it is the best investment that you can make. Wow, absolutely. And I couldn't agree more. So, um, and my last question, Ella, is what is your mission and how do you see yourself in the future? Great. Well, my mission is real clear for me. My mission is to create a vibrant and alive world by kindling the fire of brilliance in people. And how wow. I see myself in the future is to continue to use my platform to serve people, uh, whether that's through writing or speaking or coaching, training, consulting. The vehicle might change every day, but at the end of all of it, I'm looking as every single day I wake up and think, how can I help and how can I be of service? Wow, that's amazing and really inspiring. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure. Tibor, thank you so much. It's really been a pleasure for me too. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of the Mindset Horizon podcast. For more information and resources based on today's discussion, be sure to head to our website, MindsetHorizon.com, where you'll also have the ability to join the Mindset Nation community for more insight and empowerment to help you reach your full potential. That's all available exclusively on MindsetHorizon.com.